Thank you for listening to this podcast episode from Bose Church. We pray this message blesses and encourages you. If you don't belong to a local church, we would love to see you on Sunday morning. As you are taking a seat this morning, I want you to remember back to a time in your life when you used to imagine what you were going to be when you grew up, when you would allow your dreams to run wild through all the different possibilities of what you could be. Maybe you wanted to be a singer, and so you would stand in front of your mirror with your microphone hairbrush uh, and, and pretending to be your favorite musician singing to the crowd. Or maybe you wanted to be a football player, and every time you walked up to the huddle at recess, you'd be spinning that leather football in your hand, pretending you were Tom Brady or Joe Montana or Johnny Unitas. Don't worry, I have examples for all generations in this room. And that's the thing. As humans, it is our natural tendency to imitate those we look up to. It's a natural thing. That's why they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And so, we, you know, if you have a favorite actor, maybe you imitate the way they dress or, or the way they behave. I mean, I have friends today who are in the pastorate who even try to imitate their favorite preachers in the way they preach. You know, I think about my own life in this regard. I think about my son. My son is the one person who seemingly always tries to imitate me. And I can think Back to last year, we were watching a football game at our house, and it was a big game. And needless to say, it was a nail-biter. I mean, every second something big was happening. And so every time I clapped, Judah would clap. And every time I would get frustrated, Judah would get frustrated. And after a little bit of time, I started to pick up on the fact that he was mimicking me. He was imitating me. So I would start to react in certain ways just to watch him react. And so by the time the game finish. Uh, we were jumping up and down uh, like a couple of crazy people in our living room, but he had no idea of why he was jumping around. He just knew he wanted to imitate me. And that's what Paul wants us to see this morning, is that we, by nature, imitate. And so we are going to either be imitators of the world around us, or we're going to be imitators of God. And that's why Paul begins this section by saying this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now what's interesting is the usage of the word for imitate here. So the Greek word that's being used is the word mimite, and in its most literal translation means to mimic. And so as Christians this morning, who are we to mimic? Well, Paul's gonna make an argument that we are to imitate Christ. We're going to see that we're going to imitate Christ, but. Paul first draws us to our identity as God's beloved children because Paul understands that the motivation for our imitation has to be set first, right? Because we don't obey, we don't imitate because we're trying to earn God's love. We obey and imitate because we've received God's love. We need this to be the focal point of our obedience. This has to be the foundation because If anything else serves as the foundation, likely it will not endure. Likely the obedience will fall away. 
So now that we've laid this foundation, that Paul has set the foundation of our identity being the motivation for obedience, Paul's going to show you and me how we can live a life that fully imitates God. That's a pleasing aroma to God as he uses this imagery of a, a sacrifice, as our lives being a, a sacrifice to God. And, and there's only one way we do this, and that is to imitate Christ. And so our text today gives us three ways in which we are to be imitators of Christ. So look back with me at today's text, starting in verse two. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey. Don't, don't participate in the things these people do. And so the first way we see this morning that we are to imitate Christ is by walking in love. By walking in love. And so Paul begins this introduction into what it means to walk in love by showing what walking in love isn't. Paul gives all these examples of an immoral lifestyle. He gives examples of sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene stories, foolish talks, and coarse jokes. And all of these actions can be summarized into three categories, immorality, impurity, and greed. So not only do these behaviors displease God, but we see Paul actually say that these behaviors bring on the anger of God. Now, what is the root of these actions? Is there something in common amongst all these different sins, all these different behaviors that Paul's listing? Well, I appreciate how the New King James translates verse five, which gives us our answer. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And so what we see here in these sins, in these groups of sins, is that the root of the sin, in fact, is idolatry. Because when you and I allow sin to take root into our lives, we begin to put up idols. But what is the chief idol that we are worshiping here? Us. And each of these, the one who is being worshiped is us. So if we follow the illustration that Paul is giving of a sacrifice of sweet aroma coming from the altar, we can understand a, a life lived in such this way to be a sacrifice of burning garbage. Now, when I was growing up, we used to visit our family cabin. It was in a secluded remote place in the woods, and, and at most we would typically stay there for about a week or so. Now, during that week, we would start to pile up trash. So we would have all these trash bags, and, and what, what do we need to do to dispose of these trash bags? Well, we could have loaded them all up into the car with all of our other belongings, but one of the easiest ways to get rid of most of that trash is by burning it. Now, if you've never smelled burning garbage, take my word for it, it stinks. It has a terrible smell. 
And that's the image that Paul is giving us here through these actions, that as we lay these actions on the altar of our lives, it produces a putrid smell to God. I mean, think about when you're grilling up a steak. You know, it's got that fat on there, and you can smell it sizzling. And there's a reason why when we look at the sacrificial system that the the choicest fatty piece was offered to God. That's a pleasing aroma, and that's why Paul's using this example. In In the culture they lived in, sacrifice was a very understood topic. So just imagine if we went into the nursery and grabbed the trash bag full of dirty diapers and threw it into a bonfire pit. Pretty, that'd be pretty stinky. And that is what disobedience in our lives produces. It's a putrid odor. And, and what Paul shows us here is that when we imitate in such a way, we're not imitating God, but we are imitating what he says are the sons of disobedience. He says, don't be partakers with them. Because when we live in such a way, we are telling God that we love ourselves more than we love him. And so when we walk in this type of love, in fact, we're not really walking in love at all. So if Paul lays this foundation for what it is to not walk in love, what is it to walk in love? Well, let's look back to what Paul says was that sweet aroma that came off of Christ. Back in verse 2, Paul says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When we seek to to mimic or imitate Christ, we see an example of self-sacrificing obedience. Jesus prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Matthew 26, 42 says, Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. It was the heart of Jesus to obey his Father. It was his love for the Father that led him to deny his own will and to seek the Father's will. And this did come at great sacrifice. If we look at that narrative in the garden, Jesus was greatly distraught over the idea of going to the cross. This is why he's praying this. He doesn't want to go to the cross. You know, we see that he sweats tears of blood due to extreme anxiety over this. This came with great sacrifice because Roman crucifixion, if you aren't well-versed in it, was a terrible, painful death. It was excruciating. But that was only an element of the sacrifice that Christ gave. That was only an element of his obedience because in doing so, he took on the sins of mankind. He went to the Roman cross and was crucified and took on the sin which warranted the wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for our sake. And so for us to walk in obedience means oftentimes to walk in sacrificial obedience. But isn't that true of all areas of life? As we seek good things, oftentimes they come with sacrifice. If you want to lose weight, you sacrifice eating that piece of cake after dinner. The other, the other night we were at small group and Rhonda brought this awesome cake that had, let me tell you, this cake had in the layers, cannoli filling. I mean, it was insane. And so Caitlin doesn't finish her whole piece. I ate a piece, 
So I didn't sacrifice it. I balanced it, though. The, my, my calories were on point. But then Caitlin asked me if I want the rest of her piece. I mean, the, it goes without saying, yes, I wanted the rest of that piece of cake. But I, I said no. Because, again, if you have a goal, oftentimes we have to sacrifice to get there. Or say you want to become a better runner. You sacrifice your time at the track. I mean, no one really wants to be spending hours at the track. They want to be eating cake, you know. And so you have to sacrifice in order to gain. And ultimately, in order for us to gain a status of being obedient, oftentimes it leads us to the place of sacrifice, when you look at all of these areas that Paul was talking about, all these areas on which we could live in sin and idolatry, we can see that it requires us to take up our cross and die to ourself each day. And each person in this room faces that. You face those desires. You face those desires that will lead you from following in obedience to Christ. But as dear children, we need to remember these truths that we live in obedience because of what Christ has done for us, right? We, we do this because we seek to imitate the perfecter of our faith. We do this so that our lives would be a sweet aroma. Believe me, there are going to be days when you resist sin, and it is going to be hard. It is going to be a struggle. But in that struggle, I want you to remind yourself that that is you laying down a sacrifice on the altar to be a sweet aroma that rises up to God. How great is that? If we want to worship God with our lives, that is one of the first steps is living in this obedience, giving up of ourselves for God. And in that desire, giving up that desire, it is a sweet aroma to him. That's what we see that it was Christ's obedience and loving us, that was a sweet aroma to God. And so remind yourself of that as you take up your cross each day and die to those desires, that it produces this sweet, sweet aroma to God. And allow the love for God that these thoughts stir up, that we are his beloved children, that he sent his son to the cross to die for you and I, and that ultimately through our sacrificial obedience, we are laying a sweet-smelling sacrifice on the altar of our lives. Allow that love that is stirred up by those thoughts to be your motivation each day as you strive to walk in sacrificial love. Look back with me at verse eight. <clears throat> For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the, up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And so the second way this morning that we are to imitate Christ is by walking in the light. And so Paul continues this discourse by giving another illustration of how we are to walk and uses the image of light. And what we're seeing is that Paul is actually building off of each of these ways that we are to imitate Christ. And so if it mean, to, to walk in love means to walk in sacrificial obedience, we are going to, we need to ask what is walking in light? What does it mean to walk in light? Well, I want you to grasp something first here. I want you to grasp 
the idea of light and darkness, having this absolute dichotomy. Genesis 1-3 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light, the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And what's so interesting about this passage is that during this creation narrative, God is identifying the good things about his creation. But if you notice in that verse, the only thing that was identified as good was the light. You know, Scripture doesn't say that, and God separated the light from the darkness, and the light and the darkness were both good. No, he says the light was good. Simply says the light was good. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And so what we see here is that not only should our obedience be sacrificial, but it also should be missional. Our obedience should be missional. While we've seen that there's an internal implication for our obedience, that we have to die to ourselves, we also see that there's external implications as well. Not only do the light and darkness have this extreme dichotomy, but the light exposes the darkness. If I were to turn off all the lights in this sanctuary right now and drape a big old curtain across those windows in the back, it would get pretty dark in here. But what if I asked you all one by one to take out your phones and turn on your flashlights on your phones? Slowly but surely, this room would become illumined. The light would expose what is in the darkness. And as the greater concentration of light gathered, the greater exposure of darkness would take place. Paul is telling us that to walk in light is to bring the presence of the light to the darkness around us. He tells us to go out and expose the darkness. And so we see sacrificial obedience. Now we see that our, our obedience is to be missional. And I love what Paul says in verse 13. He says, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And so maybe you gather with some friends or coworkers for, at a restaurant or someone's house and and while everybody's getting rip-roaring drunk, your abstinence from that speaks loudly. When the gossip train is roaring full steam ahead at work, when you don't participate on it, in it, you shine your light. When we seek to live in a way that's acceptable to God out in the world, you will be different. You will look different as Christians. The world will see you differently as we seek to live in an acceptable way to God. This is one of the greatest opportunities to be able to share the gospel with those in your life, that, that with the people who don't know Jesus. Let them see that you live differently. Show them those works, and they'll want to hear why. They'll want to know why. Why do you live this way? And so when we walk in, in the light, our actions bring the light to the darkness, and expose those actions for what they are, darkness. All of the categories that Paul previously discussed as being dark fall into this, this category. So when we pursue the things that are acceptable to the Lord, we shift our focus from the internal realization to the external mission. When we look at Christ, we see not only his internal sacrificial obedience, but we do see this external missional obedience. 
Because when you look at the cross, that's what you see. You see that through the work of the cross that Jesus was shining light in the darkness. This was the greatest thing that could take place to expose the darkness. We see Jesus say this about the exposing of evil in John 3, 19 through 21. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than their light, than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for they fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The cross shines the light into the darkness. By going to the cross and dying for our sins and and rising from the grave and overcoming death, we see the greatest light that was ever shown in the darkness. And what we see in Jesus' own words that those who live in the dark, who love the dark, run from the light. Our goal then is to see the, the light of God's glory shine through the entire world. That's why Paul tells us to take out our light and expose the darkness. That is our mission. Our missional obedience is to take the light, the obedience we live in, and take it out to the world and expose the darkness. One of the ways that I want to encourage us to do this is through the act of believer's baptism. When we look at scripture, we see that this is one of the ways that we as believers are able to expose the darkness. Peter says this in Acts 2, following his Pentecost sermon. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so as a Christian, we see the biblical model for baptism is that it follows repentance. That one would put their faith in Christ and this internal reality stirs up and takes place and then they would participate in the external proclamation of the gospel. That is, when we get into this tub up here and we are baptized in front of people, that's what that is. That is a sending out a a light beacon into the darkness that another one is following Jesus. And this is the biblical model of baptism. This is the biblical model. So if you this morning have not been baptized, if you haven't taken that step to after making that proclamation of faith to, to get into the tub and to make that, shine that light out to the darkness, I would encourage you to follow in that biblical obedience in shining your light. And so as we understand this idea of walking in the light, we see with more clarity why this community is so important. It is because the light should gather with light. As we gather together, we expose the darkness To paraphrase a great theologian, we don't need to tell the world that we're on fire because if we're truly on fire, then the light from the flames that come off of this church will be seen by the world. Christ will give you the light, as Paul says. To imitate Christ is to walk in both sacrificial and missional obedience, to walk in love and light. And so look back with me at verse 15. So be careful how you live Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. 
and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the third way this morning that we see we are to imitate Christ is by walking in wisdom. So if to walk in love is to walk in sacrificial obedience and to walk in light is to walk in missional obedience, then to walk in wisdom is to walk in intentional obedience. Walk in intentional obedience. We see in verse 18 that Paul is highlighting a specific sin of drunkenness. But in the context of reading this, uh, uh, reading this call out of drinking, we can understand that it's, it's, he's even talking more so to a lifestyle of drunkenness. And so if you've never known someone who's struggled with alcoholism, I'll, I'll tell you this, it runs their life. It runs their life. And so I knew a man growing up who definitely struggled with alcoholism. You couldn't go to their house without him having a drink, whether it was at breakfast or at dinner, he was always drinking. And as the years have gone on, his continued drinking has come at a great cost. He's divorced now, he's physically unwell, and he rarely comes out of the home. And I also want to make it clear that people who struggle with addiction need to be treated with love and gentleness. Right? We need to show that love of Christ to them. But what we see here is, uh, in this guy I'm, I'm sharing about is an example of what Paul is saying here is that, is that this drinking will waste away your life. This guy has wasted the minutes of his life by being wasted. But this is just an example, a clear example of how the time can be wasted. There are other things that we can give ourselves to that would be a waste of our time. Anything that draws us from living out a life that is sacrificially and missionally obedient to God could be determined to be a waste. Because as we see Paul say is that the days are evil. Make the most of them. Right? And so what we see here is that Paul is, is showing us to be intentional with our time. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. There's this element of appreciating that the days are short that, re, that transitions into wisdom because time is one asset that we can't get back. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos, and you can see some of these guys are actually trying to figure out a way to take this, this monetary wealth and transition it into some kind of enduring health. It's, but we, can, we cannot add a single moment. And even when we look at Jesus' life, we see this intentional obedience being lived out. We see in John 2, 4, Jesus says, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus also says in John 12, 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus recognized that the work of his life, the work of his ministry was to be intentional. Everything was geared towards working out the Father's will to, to living in obedience. And that's why Paul is charging us to be intentional with the time that God has given us because it's been graciously given to us. If you are here this morning that is God's new mercies today that you've received, right? And so what we see here is we need to be intentional with our time. And so how can we make the most of our time? Well, one way that we see Paul listing here that we make the most of our time is by living in community with the church. 
by living in community with the church. We see him talk about don't waste your life with drinking and drunkenness, but rather sing hymns and spiritual songs to one another. This community should be a community that builds each other up, that speaks life into one another, that delights to be together. My hope is that this morning you are delighted to be here with one another. That is my hope. And even if you came in this morning not feeling so great, I hope that you're here now worshiping with one another has helped reorient your focus to God and that your joy is now abounding. But this isn't, the beauty of this, everyone, is that this isn't limited to Sunday morning and it shouldn't be. When we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see a church that was on fire for God and desired to be together. They desired to gather in the temple. They desired to break bread together. They desired those things because they saw the rich graces that were provided in that. And so Paul's showing us even, he's going into this and saying, live together. If you want to make the most of your days, live together. Let the light gather together and expose the darkness And as you do so, your joy will abound in your life. The minutes of your life will be put to good use. We here at FOS have small groups. And that is our way of taking us out from Sunday and making this happen amongst our people. To be able to to gather together and break bread and fellowship, to, to lift each other up, to build each other up is the goal of our small groups. And so, what I would encourage you this morning is, you know, maybe you just haven't taken that step or maybe you haven't felt like uh, that community was available here. I want you to come up to me afterwards if you're not in a small group and you desire this and tell me. And I will make sure that this week that you are in a group with other believers here fellowshipping and finding joy in one another. And this community that's based on Christ that is the foundation. As, as we've looked at all of Ephesians, we've seen that this, this transition has happened. There's a new humanity in which we live in. That no matter your, your age, your, your demographic, no matter, there's no true division amongst everyone in here who is in Christ. The only division now for us is us in the world. And, in the, and together we gather as light to take that light into the darkness. We don't want that division because God doesn't want that division. It is God's heart that all would come to know him. And so we get to live in that missional obedience as we are being intentional in our obedience. So this leads me to ask you the question this morning. Are you sure you are making the most of your days? I would charge you this morning that if you feel any kind of doubt or you, want to des- you desire to see that you would make the most of your time, I would, in- I would direct you right here. I would direct you right here Spend time with God. This is living and active, and it speaks to us. It gives us life. And as you do that, drop to your knees and pray that God would give you wisdom on how to make the most of the fleeting time, the time that's not promised. Make the most of your days. Be intentional in your obedience. Living a life like this is impossible outside of Christ. Because we can be imitators of morality. But there's no true change. We can't truly be like Jesus if we don't know Jesus. If he doesn't live in us by his spirit. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't have that relationship with him, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. 
The beauty of it is that God is making this opportunity available to you right now. As we look today, we see that the work of Jesus is the very basis for our obedience, but it's a free gift that he gives. I mean, it's like being welcomed into the greatest club, receiving the greatest benefits, and it didn't cost you anything. It was given to you. I mean, that's the reality we live in. But if you don't live in that reality, I would encourage you to take that step this morning because, again, the days are short. Time is fleeting. Life is but a vapor in the air here today and gone tomorrow. But God desires relationship with you. That is why Christ came in that sacrificial, missional, intentional obedience to end up on that cross for us. He, he desires that. So make the most of that this morning. And if you want to, it comes simply by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And we are told in Scripture with certainty that if you make that profession in your heart and you profess that to be the reality that you will be saved, we can walk in assurance. Paul is calling us to be imitators of Christ through sacrificial, missional, and intentional obedience, to walk in love, light, and wisdom. Remember again, back to that time when you used to, to imagine what you would be when you grew up. And remind yourself this morning that what you want to be when you grow up now is Christ. Remind yourself of that because he gives us the example of how to live a life that is pleasing to God. And he gives us his spirit to live inside of us in order to do that. He gives us all the power. It says, Christ will give you light. Christ gives freely. And he empowers us to live in his way. None of us knows what's in store for us each day. But what we know is that we've been called into a life with God. And the fullness of that life is found in being imitators of Christ. Let's pray.